0: Welcome and hello to all our viewers. We're finally back for this month's episode of Halala Watch. If you're new to the series, this podcast will be featuring invited guest speakers to engage in discussions about the upcoming 2022 Philippine elections, hosted by us, members of the SPCP community. I am very excited to start today's episode since it's going to be different than the last one. But of course, it's a good kind of difference. For this month's episode, we're going to be focusing on the youth and their involvement in the upcoming elections. We're going to openly discuss what the youth is looking for in the country's future leader, each candidate's plans for the youth after the pandemic, and their political presence in the media. It has been evident that the youth has been gaining traction recently and their power has been greatly manifested by how they mobilize each other to go out there and wait for hours just to register to vote. We all have different motivations as to why we encourage people to register. May it be due to the things we wish could have been improved or simply because we acknowledge that exercising our right to eventually vote is our civic duty that concretizes our aspirations for our country and benefits those who are unable to be deeply involved in this discourse. Regardless of our reasons, our power as a United doc gave a great outcome as Comlet was able to report that their predicted new registrants of 4 million went up to 4.6 million. And with the extension in place last month, the 300,000 expected registrants went up to 400,000. With how the youth is utilizing their voice, it can be said that the numbers are proof of our power. But through this podcast, we will be more enlightened about the other facets of the youth when it comes to the election. And to finally put everyone's waiting to an end, I am thrilled to introduce the guest that is joining us for today. It is none other than Bea And she was the president of Sanggunian of the Ateneo Senior High School, which is its highest student-led governing body during her senior year in high school. Now, she is currently a member of UPDS, otherwise known as the University of the Philippines Debate Society. And she has debated in 37 tournaments and also has appeared in the podcast Debatable. With Nina and Kyle, she, has, she also had a TED Talk entitled "Everything Sucks and It's Okay" in a TEDx event in collaboration with youth at Ateneo Senior High School. So again, let us welcome our guest, Miss Bea Legasti. Hello, Bea. Welcome to Halal and Watch. We're so happy to have you today. Please, no, please I'm are so busy. happy to be here. Thank
1: you so much for having me. Really excited. <laughs>
0: No, okay. 37 tournaments or more. Is it more?
1: Uh, It has increased since. I'm at 80 right now.
0: (laughs) 80! 80, okay. So, with that being said, can I say that also as part of the youth, you have placed yourself in, I can say like different perspectives since I think in debates, you not only have to to debate for the the side that is for a certain issue or for a certain topic, but you also have to debate for the opposition, or you get to choose.
1: Yeah, uh, we don't really get to choose, so you definitely have to be randomized. And there are often circumstances where you might not fit in with what your position is ideologically, but sometimes you really just have to of figure out how you're going to find a way out of it and kind of argue for your side even if you don't personally agree or you don't personally believe in it too much. So
0: I think with that that it's kind of briefed our viewers already as to how credible and knowledgeable Beya is when it comes to not just the youth but also other perspectives that might come into place when the youth has to deal with certain situations. And now to start, we all know that the youth have become more active and vocal about their political stances and opinions and are better prepared now than any other time in the past to engage with the world. We can notice online that the youth have been more vocal and critical of certain leaders on their attitudes, statements, and responses to crisis. It's easier to view the different opinions of people all over the country given that it only takes a few seconds to comment on a video or post, write something on one's timeline, or send out a tweet. So the main question is, is this type of interaction different from how the youth engages before? If yes, what changes have contributed to this?
1: So I'm not too old, (laughs) so I feel like I actually grew up a lot around technology as well, but Honestly, given the pandemic and given how a lot more people are on TikTok more or on different social media, especially because it's the main thing that we get to talk to people on, not necessarily anymore going out in the streets. I think it's massively different. The fact that when you go to a Facebook profile and you can see who they support already based on their Facebook profile or their cover photo, I think it's changed In multiple ways, the first thing is I think it has made a bit of eco-chambers, if you will. So there are now more Facebook groups where people discuss or affirm their own beliefs. And while that is good in terms of being able to strengthen discussions, I do think at times it may be limiting in terms of how people are able to engage with people outside of their circles. Now that we're a bit more reliant on technology, technology itself also has its own algorithms, right? Social media shows you things that you already like. And so at times, you might be limited in terms of feeling like everyone else around you is within the same sphere of influence. But supposedly, when you actually look at it, or when you're actually out in the streets, it's no longer an algorithm. You see that there are very different perspectives. So while I think it's been great in terms of connecting with other people who are a supporter of the same causes that you do have, it at times can be an illusion that certain things are bigger than they seem. And so I think that is the major difference. In the 2016 elections, I think, for the United States, that was a massive influence in terms of paying out for Hillary Clinton, for example. And I think that also is still a big thing here, especially when you have Twitter circles very different from Facebook circles, which I think more of the youth are becoming more familiar with, especially because the youth are definitely more engaged with technology, more aware with it. But I think it's something that determines a lot of how we react. The second way, I think, a lot of technology in the social media platforms that you do mentioned change the way that we work is I do think social media requires a lot less time and effort to get the message across. I've had the privilege of seeing a lot of youth organizations and youth groups sprout a lot in the pandemic. So this is not necessarily just political and just election related, but you have a lot of publication materials being released about donation drives. And it's so much easier to reach people because at the moment you have a DP blast or something similar to that. Other people can see it as well. And actually, the way that we talked over, like the way that you guys invited me is through email and actually talking to some mutual friends. So it's a lot easier than having to go to a cafe before where you'd have to talk through it. You'd have to go through orientations. So I think it's made it a lot easier as well to spread messages, which I think is great. And in, the same, in a similar way, you've also seen a lot of memes being posted about different political groups, different political actors, which... Now limits the amount of information you have per post. It's no longer very long posts. It's now because there's a shorter attention span. You have to make it more compressed, which I think is very interesting in a way that it makes it more accessible. But of course, it's also a bit less nuanced in the way that we know. obviously, we don't have the time and effort to read through a lot of research material. Now it's through memes. Now it's through short form um, information, which I think is interesting in the way that obviously it's a lot more flexible. But I think uh, something we should be noticing is that there's a bit less nuance in terms of how certain things are reacted. And that's where there's a greater proliferation, for example, of things like fake news and inaccurate information. That definitely happens because it's a lot more accessible. So I'd say it's definitely a double-edged sword. Um, I am hoping that it continues to be a force for good as we go into the next few months of the 2022 elections.
0: So you have presented two sides on social media it's like what you said it's a double-edged sword it can be a force for good like there's a side that a force for good but at the same time since it's very accessible it can be used for other things than good so how much do you think can social media like specifically political stances how much can social media influence the pe- the political stances of people and how has social media influence you?
1: So I'll just start off with my personal experience because I feel like that's, you know, a bit easier to unpack because I think it's a very interesting question, like very big in terms of just political psychology. It's a whole field. I actually love it. Sort of uh, my research interest. so it's very fun. Um, personally, I grew up, as I pointed out, in a very tech environment. So I grew up scrolling through Tumblr, understanding what racism was uh, and, and all the different ideologies. And as I grew up, uh, obviously, I started becoming more active in Facebook groups, Facebook circles that showed me what political senses are, as well as Twitter. Um, so, for sure, the understanding I have of certain ideologies came from school. Like, I understood the history of the Philippines, edu- like educational systems, the ways of the political, seg- like the political spectrum in school, because that's something that's discussed there. But I only learned how to unpack it and how it's applied online, especially because I think online you get to have a lot more lived experiences. Like Obviously, when I'm in school, or at least the schools I went to before, it's quite similar experiences with my classmates. But when you're online, you get to see how, oh, this is how liberalism is applied in a certain scenario. Oh, this is what equal opportunity actually means. And so I think social media and technology has definitely changed the way that I envision the political spectrum. It's no longer just left and right, but now it is welfare. Now it is how people's lives are at stake. And so I think that's also quite similar to a lot of other people. I see my sister who's growing up in a social media environment. I think as well being a lot more aware than what the school tells them in terms of how different social issues have become, especially when you have a lot of YouTube videos that is able to explain and unpack a lot of different things that are happening, like explaining the electoral systems of different groups or different countries, which I think is very interesting. So I think it's definitely become an alternative to what schools usually just talk about, which often has become quite divorced from our social media reality. Social media has filled that void and made it a lot easier for us to connect with other people, live their own lived experiences, as well as to understand how it happens outside of our current societies. In a similar way, I think political stances on social media definitely form a backbone for how kids and how the youth are able to make sense of themselves. Usually, the way that we have our political stances is is through the environment, obviously. And because of that, it's often influenced the most by our parents, often influenced the most by our family members and what we're exposed to. So that's why, for example, if you are more of a pro- Like liberal party supporter, possibly because your family themselves is someone who is also a liberal party supporter. If you're a pro-Marco supporter, then probably it's because you grew up in the environment where your family is also somewhat supportive of that, or uh, somewhat similar in terms of the people that you interact with. And so I think social media and technology in general, now that it kind of allows you to decentralize your identity, and it's no longer just centralized at home, like you have a lot more people that you get to talk to, and as well as you can reach out to other people as well who are also positions of authority outside of your family members, I think it's allowed people not just to create their own political ideologies in the same way I did. Like I was able to figure out that I'm this or that, that particularly because of social media, but it also allows them to challenge and question the political ideologies of people around them as well, which I think is interesting and great as well because it allows for greater political discourse. Often, I think, People go through life, or at least in the absence of technology, it's very easy to just affirm your own beliefs and not be questioned by it, which I think is unfortunately where democracies die because you're no longer questioning your own beliefs. You're no longer questioning the ideologies that are being passed on to you. But at a point where there's more opportunities for engagement because you have more discussion forums, you have more Facebook posts, you have more think pieces that you're able to interact with, able to see, as well as just general people that you can talk to who can also give an alternative view of the world. That is at the point where you're more able to explore your own beliefs and break apart from those quote-unquote echo chambers that I mentioned earlier. So I think definitely it's a process of creating and uncreating or destroying your own beliefs and then re-questioning and remaking how your
0: beliefs happen that's not I, i've le- I learned a lot from that like that's a very interesting thing because i think as as a as a person who is part of the youth you're not you think that oh it's not getting a lot of shares it's not getting a lot of likes that's okay fine it's okay sorry to say this but maybe you know, sometimes we think that oh our po- post might be pointless, but then you were able to open this idea on how social media not only is be- being utilized by your younger sister for her to learn about more things that is outside their classroom, but it also shaped you on how you were viewing your beliefs, view viewing ideologies that were just presented to you in your classes. That was just maybe presented to you in your household. And then to stray away from that when it comes to forming your stances on on social issues, on political issues, social media has become vital in the sense that it opens discussion. And it's also enabled us to to be with the people that can either be against us or with us when it comes to our beliefs. And you know, as the youth, if there are the if Obviously, I can say that a lot of people be listening to this, since this is mostly around their school. I think it, it helps us to just be reminded of how much power we have on our social media may it be our friends, our our friends list are around three hundred or a thousand or even four thousand. We should just be not wouldn't say critical, but more of conscious of what we post and. Speaking of the youth, the youth are the ones who consume and make content on the the media the most. And through this, their presence and their opinions can easily influence people on how they would weigh in each candidate. There are certain qualities that the youth define as good leadership from bad leadership, which sometimes differ from the opinions from older generations. As part of the youth yourself, what do you think the younger generations are looking for in the Philippines future leaders?
1: So I think honestly, a lot of the youth are quite idealistic and that's actually why I feel like there's a great disjunct. jump. Like I think when I do talk with my parents or at least some people who are a bit older and what they expect from a leader, it's a bit more cynical in the sense because obviously they've experienced democracy a bit more, they have voted for people who felt like who they felt like they would change the world and eventually they ended up being corrupt. And I think that is a reason possibly why this is because people are a lot more cynical as they go older. Given that, I do think the youth are looking for a leader now post, you know, post-2016 elections, post everything that has happened since, I do think that the youth, in my experience, are looking for a leader that is a bit cleaner, a bit more transparent than what we currently have. Someone who can promise actual change. I think the ways that the change is achieved is still up to debate in different circles. But I think generally, the youth, in my experience, are a bit tired with just traditional politics and corruption and obviously the levels of violence that we've seen for the past few years. So in my experience, it seems to me that the youth are more energized to work towards a leader, work towards the Philippines that is a bit more based on morality which i think is really great um i am an idealist myself and i also take part in that and i, I think it's obviously influenced because a lot of the youth i do have share the same beliefs and share the same candidate choices i do so uh that's what i just say i i, I obviously think that it differs a lot and the same way that your upbringing would change the way that you do but for me i think not a, a lot of the voters are first-time voters, as well as quite idealistic in terms of wanting to get people to vote. As you said, there, uh, there's an increase in terms of the amount of people wanting to register, as well as just generally a lot more youth involvement, given the handling of the pandemic. I think a lot more people are wanting for more optimistic solutions, more transparent solutions, more action-based solutions, as opposed to the current levels of identity politics and the traditional politics that we found ourselves in.
0: So you mentioned that the youth is expecting a, a, a type of morality-based leadership. But let's say that the turnout of the upcoming elections will be the general opposite of what the youth has been advocating for. What do you think their reaction would be? And what actions would they take? Um, honestly, I actually think
1: it would be a very big cynical boost Um, I think it is painful to feel like something that you fought for is unfortunately crumbling and I, I am worried that this election is going to be a very big turning point because it is a it is a frustration point right like the past two years have been increased tensions across a lot of different groups and that's why I think the youth has become a bit more hardened in their belief at the point where I feel like it becomes the opposite of what the current youth see, yeah, I feel like it would lead to a bit more cynicism. Um, but I think it would happen in different ways. So I think the youth who would become a bit more cynical would be unfortunately a level of um, apolitical as well moving forward. I, I hope that is not the case. But I do think that the majority would likely go back and be political as well. When I think there is a lot of dissatisfaction with the results as well as dissatisfaction with the way that the leadership would play out. If it is the case that the candidate for the youth is not elected, I do think that you will find a lot of spaces where the youth will mobilize. So I mentioned earlier youth organizations that started out during the pandemic and I think that came about a lot because of a large dissatisfaction with how government was able to, you know, deal with the early stages of the pandemic because there was a lot of this jump in how donation drives for very earthquake or very flood-hit areas were receiving it. I think a lot of youth groups fulfill that, as well as just being able to help out in terms of other individuals who have been affected by the pandemic. So that's what makes me optimistic, that the youth will not be increasingly cynical, but rather fill in the gap with organized power and mobilization. And I think that is only going to get stronger as the current youth matures. I do think that another cohort of younger voters next election season will come in bring in the idealistic energy but I, I don't think that the youth uh, I think it would be a mistake to undermine the youth right now to say that they're going to be ultimately heartbroken and just going to leave politics as a whole if they do not get what they want because I feel like it's not a tantrum but rather it is a hope and I feel like when that hope is something that does not exist for this election, it's not successfully brought in. I don't think that hope will die, but rather I think that hope will strengthen and will just feed into a lot more mobilization and a lot
0: more concrete action from the youth. So in, in your answer, you were able to underline that the youth is very enthusiastic, the youth is very energized, and maybe the regardless of the results of the future election that will be Held in 2022, you're saying that they're gonna either way, they're gonna mobilize themselves in order for them to fill the gap that the future leaders will not be able to fill. And speaking of youth enthusiasm and in participating in the upcoming elections, you know, it's already quite noticeable. And with the statistics conducted by the or from the CNN Philippines. As of July, 52% of the registered voters are in the age group of 18 to 40 years old, which are classified as the youth vote. So with that, how important do you think it is for the candidates to have a plan in their platform specifically targeted for the youth?
1: Oh, it's definitely important. Like, I think they have to make sure that they're appealing to the youth, which I think candidates have been doing they have youtube channels and like they've been going on tiktok too so i think that's definitely a show of just how much they're trying to grab the vote of the youth like because it's a massive massive sector and i think obviously the youth right now as you mentioned is very very interested in participating participating in the turnout so i think it's very crucial if they do wanna win Um, I think secondly as well, a lot of the older voters are quite set in the ideologies that they have. So if you are a voter who has historically been a supporter of a particular party, historically been a voter of a particular cult of personality or something like that, I do think it's a bit harder for you to change your minds. As opposed to the youth who are, you know, coming from fresh from high school graduates, current university students, etc. These are individuals who are still a lot more open to different principles, different ideologies, and different campaigning. And as well as these are people who also are probably pondering on their vote a lot more, because, again, this is their first time voting. So I feel like it is incredibly crucial for a lot of politicians to indeed target the youth and make sure that they are setting up policies, sure, but also making their political campaigns attractive to these voters, because these voters are often the ones who, while they are new, are also a lot more critical of what's happening because they are the ones who are, again, like they haven't had previous experience to rely on. So I think it's incredibly crucial for them to use the votes of the youth.
0: So speaking of policies for the youth, what issues concerning the youth should definitely be prioritized? I think one
1: is, Indeed, the ways that schools are being run during the pandemic. I know that some schools are planning to go back offline soon, um, and my own school, like the university I am in, is still planning. But I think there has to still be a plan for when we get back. It's not going to be ultimately solved at the point where everyone gets back and everything is happy. Obviously, you need to make sure that the people who did go through the online setup so much for the past two years are going to be well-adjusted. The individuals who are graduating, for current voters, of course, will definitely need to also be trained for uh, recession. And that's the second thing, I think, outside of just the ways that the educational system is being run, because a lot of students are very dissatisfied with the requirements and the ways that the current system is working. I think for the recent graduates, the growth of the Philippines is quite concerning because it also means that job losses, job unemployment is very very scary and I think being able to promise that unemployment is going to be less or at least the employment rate is going to be stable is definitely something that should be in the cards for a lot of these politicians making sure that the economy is something that's clear and stable and that there's a clear plan as opposed to just saying oh it's just something that we'll solve later on. I think a lot of these younger voters really are at the point where there's having an existential crisis. And I say that as well as a college student who's also worried about the job market as they graduate. Like it really has to be clear what the plan is. And I know that's something that a lot of people also share with me. Um, I think, of course, lastly, and while generally I don't think this is just a youth specific thing. But I think as well, just in terms of how, you know, the healthcare system is going to be strengthened moving forward is definitely quite crucial. I know that a lot of you the youth right now have seen how the healthcare system has affected their own family members. And I think it's just an important thing as well to assess how we get out of this pandemic. I know that we're currently in alert level two at the moment that this podcast is being recorded, because I'm not sure if it's going to be reverted later on, because it is quite scary right now. Everyone's in the malls and, you know, going through a lot of different things. But right now, the healthcare system is still quite imperfect. Like obviously, we were shocked with COVID-19 and the hospitals were flooded, a lot of our own family members were affected. It was a massive sense of grief that everyone had. And I think the healthcare system right now is very linked towards how people approach the ways that we view society. Uh, at present, I, I know that a lot of other co-students and other co-first-time voters right now are very very cynical, very pessimistic, just at the state of the country. Like It was very upsetting in terms of oh no, like what happens if we get sick and something like that. So I think it's very crucial as well that politicians would prioritize the pandemic generally because I think that is what has hit the youth the most. It is very shocking for us to be at home for two years, educationally, economically, and you know, also worrying about our mental health, the health of our parents, the health of our family members. So I think, honestly, those are some of the major issues that I think the youth probably
0: care about. So based on the issues and concerns that you were able to point out, what do you believe is the best way for them to execute this effectively?
1: So I think this is up to the campaign teams and how they'd want to, you know, approach it. But I think generally it would be helpful for them A to prioritize like bridging programs. So going back to the educational systems, I think prioritizing bridging programs, making sure that we get to go offline as soon as possible trying to assess especially like younger students who have been most affected by it like students who, are just grad- who transitioned from high school to college in the middle of the pandemic I think they definitely need a lot more assistance. I think increasing funding for educational systems is very important especially because this comes at you know the previous administration cutting the budget of the not like state universities, which is very upsetting, honestly, as a, someone who goes to state university, I think there definitely needs to be a lot more funding for that. Um, I think, secondly as well for educational systems, there needs to be a greater reassessment of curricula as well as reassessment of just how burnt out our students are. Like I think we're still going to keep going with the online setup or a hybrid setup, the hybrid being I think what is more likely. I think politicians need to assess how the curricula and how mental health breaks are being created. I think there was a large phenomenon recently in a particular university where the lack of an academic break was very terrible and very devastating. I think that is something that is replicated in a lot of different circles. I think politicians need to listen, need to also urge whoever is going to be part of the cabinet members, prioritize passing policies that actually limit the amount of work that is created by a lot of these students because of online classes, as well as when we go offline, I think making sure that these standards that these students are being held to is not ultimately just so stifling for their own mental well-being and their own welfare. I think policies that are about, you know, the well-being of these students definitely have to prioritize, especially because in retrospect, I don't think we had a lot of that before the pandemic even. I don't think there was a lot of focus on the mental health of the students even before. Um, I think secondly as well, there definitely has to be, uh, sorry, thirdly as well, I think there definitely has to be a focus on the standards of teaching. So going online has showed us that a lot of the modules by the Department of Education itself might not be as perfect. When you saw a lot of memes at the start of a pandemic where they're not perfect, I think politicians need to focus on educational systems, like how history is being taught to students, how social sciences are being taught to students, how very basic concepts are being taught to students, especially because, of course, there's a great inequality in our educational system that I think has to be fixed that definitely has to be prioritized as well. Um, I think in terms of the economy, so I don't think I'm qualified to be able to give a very big economic plan, but just generally being able to balance the public health protocols uh, as like making sure that everyone is still masking, social distancing, while... Still, opening up the economy is quite crucial. I think there needs to be a greater stimulus package for the industries that have been affected, which has been done before, but I think it's still quite harmful now because we don't really get a lot of support for daily wage earners. So, the ones who are constantly working day by day, they're the most exposed. So, you have a lot of drivers who really had to start working again because, you know, obviously. They didn't have wages. And I think that's also likely to be affecting a lot of our youth as well who are doing part-time jobs. And I think it's crucial that a lot of the government, politicians, etc., would be focusing on how we're able to recover economically. I think as well for employment, there's definitely there definitely needs to be a focus on the creation of jobs and just making sure that the jobs in the market of the people who are participating out is not going to be limited. Like, I know that there are some students that I know who still are able to get their jobs, still are able to be employed, still able to get internships online. But obviously, it's because we're privileged individuals. And that is something that not everyone has access to. So I think being able to make sure that the systems of being able to get jobs, being able to get employment, like the systems that they have, like Tesla, et cetera, is, is increased. And it's something that is also able to prepare these students to be competitive in a job market that is honestly quite cutthroat. So, I think those are starting points. I think there are definitely a lot more economic professors, educational specialists who would be able to give better ideas. But, I think coming from my perspective, those are definitely things that I think the government should try to hear out or at least try to listen to. You
0: know, with all these topics and questions and your answers that are, you know, I would say very concrete. These answers are maybe the thoughts of our other listeners as well. You know, we can see that the youth participation in today's elections is particularly significant and powerful. There's no doubt that they're also very strong and confident in voicing out their opinions and educating other people like what you're doing right now and what You've been doing in the past years or so when it comes to debating. But we all know that debating is not the only way for the youth to exercise their um civic duty to educate other people when it comes to social issues. But in a nutshell, what do you think the youth's role is in shaping the way our country will become in the forthcoming years?
1: I think the youth is the future like I I know that's a very cliche thing but it's just empirically true the first time voters in this election will be the ones who will see the country the longest of the current voters just because first time voters will be the ones who will be voting in the next elections and the next elections all the way until they you know uh, like end (laughs) their lives like it's just so massive that the experiences of the first-time voters now, how they currently participate in elections, will dictate the ways that politics will work in the future. And I think it is particularly important to note that 2022, I really think, is a is an important juncture because we are, as I said, like it's a pandemic. It's a very, very crucial thing that's happening right now, as well as a, a lot of other things that happened in the previous years with the increasing tensions politically. Like I think the political tensions the past few years has been increased compared to the previous administrations. And so I think the way that the youth participate in this election, as well as the youth in the future elections, has been honed by our experiences for the past few years and will definitely shape the way that the dominant parties will likely react and the dominant parties will likely work in terms of the electoral system. So I think preference-wise, the youth will definitely be a massive decision maker. I think in terms of the system and in terms of the political traditions and political institutions, I think the youth will definitely, maybe if not now, will definitely be a, a massive force in terms of deciding the structure as well. Because right now, while we are newer voters, I think the experience that we have in this election is going to change the way that we trust the political system, will change the way that we endorse political systems later on. And I think that is quite crucial in terms of noting down the experiences for us as well. I think lastly, as I can just preferences and the ways that the institution is created, I think it's definitely going to change the way that we conceive of nationalism and the way that we conceive of our country. Like, I think the way that we view our relationship with the Philippines and we view the relationship that we have with the government in terms of it either being pessimistic or optimistic in terms of either being nationalist or quite, you know, upset with the ways that the current system is being worked is definitely something that is going to be affected by the elections. And by virtue of that, the system is also going to be changed by the youth. And I think because of the ways that our attitudes are also going to shape the political system and the ways that the country as a whole is formed, I think it is
0: a massive societal shift that the youth has in their hands. I can like suddenly hear the youth sigh because of like the big responsibility that they have on their shoulders all of a sudden. So, you know, I really don't want to end this podcast because it's very fruitful and it's very enlightening and it's personally, but I don't think I'm not, I'm the only one who will say this, but your perspective has really Opened us to a lot of a lot of information that even though we have our devices, we're not really eager to look. But through this podcast, I think it was able to present itself to us. And before we finish today's discussion, um, what do you want to say to our listeners, or maybe to in debates, right? You have this like government whip. What would you do in relation to this discussion? What would you like to say? So
1: I hope that as you vote, because the registration already done, as you vote in the 2022 elections, and as you go through the arduous process of selecting who the next leaders will be through debates, through campaigns, I hope that you will always hold on to your ideological beliefs, question if this particular person is someone who really fits, your beliefs, and at times as well, while it's good to hold on to your ideological beliefs, also question them too in the process. If there is a tension with the beliefs that you have and the other people, ask yourself why? And I think it would reveal a lot more about the political system, about the inequalities, about the ways it might view the world separate from the other people. My favorite quote, or at least one of the quotes I loved before, and I'm still trying to decide if I still like it now, um, but I still think it's applicable, is, Hold on to your beliefs, but make sure to hold them loosely. So hold them strong enough that you will be able to know that you're right, but also hold them loosely enough and at a distance that you would still be able to question them when it is something as being put in tension. And I know that it's a constant question of is this actually correct? Is what I'm standing for really what I should be standing for? But I think in a similar way that you know something is the one or you feel like something is nothing for you, I think you'll know why something is right or wrong when you're there. And I hope that's something that you can hold on to as you go through the election season. You become critical and you become someone who is, of, of course, not going to be manipulated by fake news, but someone who's also you know, sticking by your own beliefs, making sure you are sticking by what is right, especially when you're at the voting booths, um, just coming from the, the elections.
0: So remember the acronym HQQ. Know how to hold on to your beliefs. Know how to question the candidates or even ideologies that are being proliferated in our society. And also know how to question whether your, your ideologies are still mirroring what you think is right for our country. You know, that's... That whole this whole conversation and even that very last tip you have given us is truly enlightening it is nice to be able to talk and discuss youth involvement from the perspective of the actual youth i'm glad that we were able to cover such topics that most of our audience can relate to thank you beya for taking your time and sharing your insights I definitely enjoyed having this discussion with you and be able to hear your fresh takes. So, do you have any last words, for, or like very last words?
1: I hope you guys enjoy the process of figuring out who you are. I think that's understated. It is fun to know what you believe in. Fun to believe that you can make change. And fun to create that change as well when you eventually vote. I think that is the unique part of being a young person in a tumultuous political system. So I hope that in the process of HQQ, which I think is an actually really fun acronym, I hope that you also make sure that you get other people to vote and make sure you also yourselves
0: have fun in the process. I you know I do hope that everybody gets to take notes of all. Of all her answers, especially the last two. And, you know, since right now we're going to end our, we're going to officially end our podcast. But before we do, before we end this podcast episode, we hope that you have learned a thing or two from today's episode. Don't forget to stay updated with our Halalan Watch episodes, and you may follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook under Halal Halalan Watch. Thank you for listening to this Halala Watch podcast episode and stay tuned, stay tuned in for our next episode on the 2022 Philippine election. Once again, thank you, Bea. Thank you, thank you so much. And thank you everyone for listening.